grade son in basketball. It is really fun, uh, and it can be maddening. And one of the things that I notice that is like, like the Lord speaking to me through this too is like these kids, a lot of them, this is their first year like learning how to play basketball. And basketball is pretty complicated if you're like picking it up as a, a young kid. But you're learning all these fundamentals. You're learning these things that are true about the game. You're learning how to do certain things. But then when you see something just happens in game time and things, everything goes out the window. Uh, or you're like learning, I'm watching some kids like doing the thing we practice, but it's not at the right time or not in the right place. <laughs> and, and it's just, there's times that are just maddening where uh, you're watching like a kid on the other team getting the rebound and the kid on our team who's supposed to be guarding him is like standing at a distance just like, and you're like, just go here, put your hands up and just, just do it, you know? And it's like watching that scene from Saving Private Ryan where the guy's just like sitting on the steps and he's like, man, if you just got up and helped, this guy would make it, but you're just doing nothing. Um, anyway, what's going on here is uh, we have spent the last three weeks in this vision series called What We Have in Christ. We're starting the year uh, not from a place of need, not from a place of playing from behind, but from a place of abundance. Um, it's, you know, we, we've, if you've been with us, we've talked about this, but you know, it's, it's easy to start the year reflective, which is good, and, and a lot of the things that we reflect on are all the things, the ways in which we're deficient, and the things that we need to get better in, and the things that we need to do better, and be better, and better, better, better. And um, self-improvement is great, and more discipline is great, and really focusing on things is great. But if we're doing that because we feel like we need that to be somebody or to have something or gain something that we don't already have in Christ, that's not healthy. And so what we've done is we spent these first three weeks of the new year uh, looking with the Apostle Paul at three different places in three of his letters where he has just outlined very clearly, this is the gospel. This is the good news of God's love for you in Christ. And this is what you have in Christ. This is what you have when you have Jesus. And so um, today is a little bit of a, a turning. Is, okay, we have this, but um, I think we know instinctively that it's, it's not just to have this and to just say, man, this, this feels great. <laughs> and I'm just going through my life like feeling a little better about things, but there, there's purpose. This is a, uh, a truth, a reality, a love, a presence, a power that is ascending power. Um, it is propelling, the love of Christ is propelling us out into the world. And so as we think about the coming year, and uh, I think Krista is reading our scripture. If you would come on up, Krista. Um, as we think about um, what it is to be in Christ together as this body, we're thinking about he is he is calling us, continually calling us um, on mission with him to, to, for something to happen in this body, for, for this body to be gathered around him in such a way that he is moving and working and doing something in us for sure, but also out in the world through the way that he is gathering us together in this place. And so um, that's where we're going this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. All right. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. 
Jesus was also baptizing at Enon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not been put in, not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to him you bore witness. Look, he is baptizing, and all who are going to him. Jesus answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you for this place, uh, the church, not this building, but this gathering of your people with you in your presence to uh, remind us who we are and who you are and how you love us. And I pray this morning, Father, that you would Speak to us through your word as it's preached, as it's read, as it's prayed. Um, Speak to us and lead us. Do not leave us unchanged, but that you would come, you would transform us, you would continue to do your good transforming work, and that you would not just do that individually, that you would do that collectively, that you would take this body of men, women, and children that you have called together into this covenant relationship with you and with one another, and that you would move us, you would unite us, and send us, and we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this passage, um, the connection here is that what we're seeing happen with John the Baptist's disciples is a little bit like what can happen with us, is that you just get so involved in the doing that you forget really why we're doing it, and then you miss because Jesus is living and active and dynamic, um, we miss when he is redirecting. And so in this passage, it picks up talking about these first couple verses talking about baptism. And um, why is everybody baptizing? Jesus' disciples are baptizing. John the Baptist and his disciples are baptizing. Um, Baptism, as, as we just heard, is a picture. It is a living picture of the gospel. It is this picture of someone who uh, is being the waters of God's judgment are flowing, and uh, at least in immersion baptism, someone is going down into the death of the waters of God's judgment. Think about like Noah's ark and the flood. You're going down into death, but you're not staying there because Jesus is your ark. And Jesus is carrying us through that death. He is taking our sins upon himself, and he is the one that is going down into death and being raised to new life so that in him, we can experience the coming up and being raised to new life because he has taken our sins upon himself and God's wrath has been poured out on our sin in Jesus so that we don't ever have to fear God's wrath. For anyone who is in Christ, our sin has been paid for. All of our sin, past, present, and future, has been paid for on the cross. And so now we have been drawn near and united with God through Jesus. And now all that we have Uh, all that we can expect is to be loved by him and to be with him and that nothing, nothing and no one, including ourselves, can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. And so what's happening here is that uh, John has been called by God 
to go out and be a forerunner for Jesus, to prepare the way for Jesus because God is doing something new. And so John has these disciples who have gathered with him and he is baptizing. He is, uh, this baptism for repentance is saying like, you are going down into the, the floodwaters of God's judgment, but you're being raised to new life, not because anything you've done, not because you're so good, but because of God's grace. And you need to turn from your living life on your own terms, that's what the word repent means, to turn and turn back to him, to come back to God because he is making a way that this baptism is a foreshadowing picture of. He is making a way for you to be united with him. He has made a way for your sin to be dealt with so that it doesn't interfere with you having life in God anymore through the one that is coming and I am preparing the way for the one who is coming. And so then, we have, so we have John and his, his uh, disciples are baptizing, calling people out into the wilderness, calling people out uh, into this, uh, this picture of repentance and new life and God's grace. And then we hear that Jesus is now here. And right before this, it says that Jesus goes out and he was baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. And you're like, why was Jesus baptized? Because he obviously was sinless, so does, that doesn't seem to make any sense. But remember, Jesus is our representative. And so in the picture of baptism, Jesus is saying, I am stepping into baptism to take your place. So when Jesus is baptized, he is saying, look, look at what's happening to me as I go down into the waters of God's judgment. This is me carrying all of your sin under God's wrath and being destroyed so that you can have life. And then I'm also being raised to new life so that you can see that God has accepted this and that this is true and that um, I will never die again and so you don't ever have to fear death. And so Jesus and his disciples are baptizing, but John's really clear uh, later on in John 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, that Jesus himself is not actually baptizing anyone. It's only his disciples. And the reason that that's important is because Jesus is baptism. <laughs> He's not baptizing us through this physical picture. He is baptism. He is our true baptism that this physical picture points to. But this is when this, these two ministries are still overlapping. John the Baptist and his disciples are baptizing people. Jesus' disciples are baptizing people. It's all pointing to the same thing. It's all pointing to the gospel. But as we see here uh, in verse 25... There's some friction, and it says a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew, most likely a Pharisee, a, re a religious, you know, for lack of a better word, religious professional, over purification. And so something in this conversation really bothered John's disciples, and they came to John, and we, we learn at least Maybe not exactly what they were talking about, but we learn why it bothered them in this next verse. They came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, he who is with you across the Jordan, Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him instead of us is the uh, implication there. And so Something is happening, and these disciples of John the Baptist are being threatened. And it's, it's sort of like when they come to John, they're saying, hey, remember, like, we're the baptism guys. 
Like it's your name, right? You're John the Baptist. And so now everyone is going to Jesus instead of to you. And the implied concern or fear or anxiety in that is what does that mean for us? If we're your guys and you're the baptism guy and no one's coming to us for baptisms anymore, what does that say about us? So these men are feeling threatened. And what they were doing with their lives have become more about them being somebody than them preparing the way for Jesus. I'm going to say that again because that's important. In all of the action, in all the, the, the ways that they got drawn into this ministry with John the Baptist, and they were baptizing people, somewhere along the way, they were like those first graders out on the basketball court. Like, I'm just doing movements. I'm just doing things. I'm dribbling, maybe. I'm raising my hands. I'm putting them down. I'm running in circles. I'm just doing things because I'm just out here, and I forgot why I'm out here. I'm just running around. And that's what these guys are doing. That's when they come to John with this concern, they are revealing that that's what's happening in them. Like, we're just baptizing people. We, we don't even know why. But it bothers us that people don't want us to come put them in water anymore. They have forgotten. They have missed, like, what is happening. They, now, all of a sudden, we're out here for us. We're out here because it feels good to feel needed and to feel important and to feel like we're somebody and we've got a thing. But now when everybody's starting to leave, we've totally forgotten that the whole reason we're out here, the whole picture that baptism is and who baptism points to is to prepare the way to unite people with God through Jesus. And it's, it's been totally forgotten. And so a question for us is in our lives, when we start to feel threatened, when we start to feel anxious, when we start to feel insecure, is there a place in us? Are we open and connected and aware of the, the moving and the presence of the Holy Spirit in us enough to stop and be curious about what's happening and maybe things are changing because God is wanting to do a new thing, or do we bypass that altogether and we're just threatened and so we double down and demand and we try to force and make something happen and manipulate the situation and demand that things go a certain way or things stay the way that they were yesterday. And so here, thankfully, John is thinking clearly and John is modeling what it is to have life in Christ, what it is to have a relationship with Jesus and to know him and to follow him. And he is giving his disciples here and he's giving us these words of deep encouragement. He says in verses 27 and 28, a person cannot receive, that, that word can also mean take. A person cannot take or receive or get for themselves even one thing, unless it is given to them from heaven, a.k.a. unless it is given to them by God. 
you yourselves bear me witness. You've heard me say, you heard me say it. I am not the Christ. I am not the center of everything. I am not the one who deserves all worship. I am not the one who everyone needs to flock to. I am not the chosen one. But I have been sent before him. I have been sent by God to prepare a way before him. So if you listen to the way that John is speaking, a couple of things I want to point out. He's using the words given and sent. And what's implied in those words is a relationship. John is being given something by God. John is being sent by God. And in order for those things to happen, that must mean that John is open, that John is receptive, that John is humble. He is in a position where he understands that there is a God who is living and active and dynamic and perhaps sometimes even disruptive because either he is saving us from ourselves of some dis, uh, destructive pattern that we have or some way that seems good today but that it actually is not good, that he is frustrating out of love for us. But John is open. In order to be sent, he has to be able to hear and receive the sending. And he has to be, remain open so that that sending may change tomorrow because God is alive. And we are in a real active relationship with him. And so these plans can change. How crazy would that be for somebody out on a battlefield or someone out on a sports field or, or anywhere where strategy is involved to say, well, this is what you told us at the beginning of the game. This is what you told us at the beginning of the, the war to do. It's like, yeah, man, but then the war has been happening and the game has been happening and things change and now you need to do something different. It's like, well, should have told me that at the beginning. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not what's happening. Like, this is a living, active, dynamic situation and so is your life. And so is your relationship with the one who made you and who now through Christ dwells within you and is leading you for your good and for his purposes. You're not just running around the court. You're hearing and receiving and you're responsive and you're open and Jesus is speaking and he's dynamic and he's disrupting and he's moving and he's working and he's healing and he's transforming. And here also that John says, and I imagine he says this with great delight and freedom. I am not the Christ. Like what a gift. What a gift that I am not the Christ. What a gift for me that I don't have to stand up here and know everything and be an expert at everything. The Lord has called me to be a pastor here and he's called me to preach his word, but I don't know everything. <laughs> I've never done this before. Whoops. We're all figuring this out together, right? Because I'm not the Christ. And neither are you. But he's with us, and he loves us, and he is leading us, and we don't have to know everything. We just have to know what he is telling us. And now we can rest. And, and this opens the door to something that is very necessary. Because when we are hanging on tooth and nail and we are grabbing and striving for all these things that we want that we feel threatened and we feel insecure when they feel like they're being messed with what's really happening there 
is the things that we are dying for are these false identities. Like, I, I want to be the baptism guy. I want to be the, the really attractive guy. I want to be the really successful guy. I want to be the, you know, and obviously it gets more specific than that. I want to be the guy in this industry who does this. I want to be the person who makes enough money to where I can have a, a place in this neighborhood and, you know, whatever it is. But it's like we have these little dreams of what it is to be us and to be the best version of us. And what God is doing when he disrupts those things is he is saving us from living in the fragility of these false identities that they're false. They're not real. That's not who we really are, but also they're so, so fragile. And they only bring sadness. The pursuit of them as if they were our, our deepest identities only brings sadness because that's what idolatry does. When you worship false gods, it makes you sad. And so what John is helping his disciples with here, what Jesus is helping John's disciples and us with here through what John is saying is that is not who you are. That is not your identity. Now you can rest in your true identity. And you can live and work from a place of freedom and peace and joy. Because you don't have to be that guy or that woman or whatever it is in your mind that you think you need to be somebody or to be successful or to be someone that these particular people won't be disappointed in. That's all false. And he's saying, yeah, just get that out of your mind so that you can actually start living out of your true identity, which is so strong and so firm and so fixed and so immovable that you can have joy because you're not always having to protect it because it's not going anywhere. It's strong. And he, he, he walks us into that identity in these last two verses here. Talks about being Jesus's best man. And something we need to know, just so that this picture can really land, is uh, a little something about Jewish marriages of that time. The friend, or the best man, the friend of the bridegroom, was responsible for several things deeply involved in the coming together of man and woman in marriage. Uh, not always, but a lot of times they were involved in the negotiation of the bride price, the negotiation of, of these two people coming together. They were responsible for leading the bridegroom to his bride. They were responsible for bringing the joy, like keeping the joy at the celebration high. They were responsible for contributing financially to the wedding. And then they were uh, a lot of times waited outside the bridal chamber while the marriage was consummated. And when the husband and wife came out of the bridal chamber after the marriage was consummated, they led the throng in shouts of joy. It was the delight and it was the deep work and it was the deep involvement of the friend of the bridegroom to see husband and wife coming together in marriage. And so when John continues to speak about his true identity, it's not that he's the Baptist. Like he was called John the Baptist, and John's saying, hey, look, y'all are threatened by us not doing a lot of baptisms these days, but I, John the Baptist, 
Like being the Baptist is not my identity. So I'm actually okay because my identity is being with God in Christ. And he goes on and says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete because Jesus is here and he is being united to his people. Therefore, he must increase, I must decrease. We are free to be the friend of the bridegroom because we are also the bride, because we are deeply loved by God, because Jesus has come for us, for his people. And so now, filled with his love, we are free to not be the groom, but to be the bridegroom, or to be the friend of the bridegroom. We are very happy to hear Jesus' voice as he is coming for his people. And when we see people being united to Jesus, that is our deepest joy, and it completes our joy. He must increase, I must decrease. Of course, he must. There's no other way. He has to. It's like, it's like that being said from a first grader on my basketball team. Like, Coach Matt must increase. Like, if I'm ever going to learn how to play basketball, like me wanting to run around and pretend I'm flying or all the million other things that I decide to do at any given moment, like, that has to decrease. If anything positive is going to happen out here, can you tell we lost yesterday? Like all my little whims and feelings and desires in this life have to decrease. I don't, I can't put as much emphasis on them anymore because frankly, they don't matter much because I'm learning how to live from the one I'm following. Like my role in this whole thing is not, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the one that gets put up and celebrated. And I'm also not the one having to give my life and carry the weight of the sin of the world on my back. That's, that's good. But it's not about me. In fact, my role in this is to go out like the friend of the bridegroom and to help these people around me and Jesus come together and have union. And that is my deep joy. So of course, like he has to increase and I have to decrease. That's the only way. And it's good. It's good. It's his desires, his heart, his plan, his wisdom, his love. And so what we're going to do now is I'm going to lead us through a, a guided prayer. And there's going to be three movements of this prayer. But I just want you to close your eyes, um, maybe, maybe open your hands, um, get in a posture where you feel like you're able to participate in this with your whole self. You know, as we, as we turn toward the year and all that's coming, we are asking for Jesus to prepare us for what he has for us, to enable us to join him as the friend of the bridegroom, to be at work with him in the lives of the people around us so that our joy could be complete. And so to start... Like John's disciples here, where in your life 
do you feel threatened? Where do you feel anxious? Where do you feel insecure? What are the things that feel so fragile that in order for you to be okay, these things have to balance and they're always on the verge of tipping over? These are places where we are clinging to some identity other than belonging to Jesus. So confess those places to him now. Confess those false identities and release them. It may even help to list them and say, I release this to you. I release my need for this to you. And now the second movement A person cannot take a single thing for themselves unless it is given to them from heaven. Would you ask Jesus to humble you so that instead of running around grasping that you could actually receive life from him? Ask him to help you believe that he loves you and that he can be trusted and that he is living and active in your life. And finally, it says here that the friend of the groom rejoices greatly at his coming. And his joy is complete when the bride and the groom become one. So Father, would you make it our joy to see people drawn into the love of Jesus? Would you make it our joy for ourselves to be drawn into the love of Jesus? Amen. Y'all, we have an opportunity to do something great. And I'm aware when I say something like that, for y'all to be just so tired of people making statements like that. And I wanna tell you what I mean by that. We have an opportunity as this body to do something truly great. 
And that, that has nothing to do with numbers. It has nothing to do with a building. It has nothing to do with anything like that. What I mean when I say that is we have the opportunity to actually believe Jesus and be the church. And for us to, indiv- all of us individually and collectively together, to experience the life of God. There are a lot of churches meeting. There are very few that actually participate in this. There are very few gatherings of people where we would all humble ourselves enough to discern, Jesus, what are you calling us to together? How are you calling us to be the body? How are you calling us to respond to your love for us and to move out into the world on mission together? and to be the church to one another and to remind and encourage each other the truth of your love for us in Christ. And so what we're gonna do uh, for the rest of our time or a lot of the rest of our time here is um, we're gonna kind of walk through four areas that we just feel like these are just huge gospel engines in this body for how he would work through us collectively this year. And we're gonna share some vision about those places and then we're gonna spend some time praying together for those places. And as we do, I wanna just remind us of this promise that Jesus gives us in Luke eleven nine. 9. He says this, I'm telling y'all, this is my paraphrase, I'm telling you, if you all ask me, I will give it to you. If you all seek me, you will all find me. And if you all come knock and you keep knocking, you will all find together that the door will open. And so now as as we spend time praying for these things and praying for him to work through us and in us this year, I'm gonna just go ahead and seed, seed you with this. If not now, when? Because there's always a temptation to think, like just to hang back and to, to just be emotionally, mentally, spiritually distanced from what's happening here. But like, what are you waiting for? Life is short. Life is so short. And if not now, when? So this is my encouragement to us that like, let's use this as a, a moment in time where we collectively say, hey, we really do want to be open to what you're doing. We really do want to be a part of this body that you've called together for your purposes and participate in this so that we can experience what you have for us. So Evan, if you want to come on up. So we're going to go through uh, four different things, and you'll get the hang of um, how this works, hopefully after this first one. But I'm going to start with groups. So we talk about groups a lot. You all know mostly what our groups are. They're meant for discipleship and community and these smaller gatherings that you can be known and know others and pray together and share what's going on uh, in your hearts and your life, what the Lord's teaching you. But I just want to share a little bit about what we're doing, um, where we feel like the Lord's been leading us uh, in groups over this past year and and continuing. Um, We are... uh, First, trying to cast vision for what this is, for what it is to be a group. We don't want to just do small groups just to do small groups, just so we can say, yeah, we have small groups at Midtown West, and whether or not anything happens, we've just got them. 
So what we have invited all our groups to do is to each week at the beginning to cast vision for, hey, what do we want as a small group? What do we want for this? And if we don't know what we want, like, should we even meet together? But what do we want the Lord to do in this small group? So that's first is to cast, cast vision. Secondly, is to actually spend some time in silence and quieting our hearts and quieting the busyness of our lives so that we can actually hear from the Lord what that might be. Like, where am I on this Wednesday night? And what is he saying to me? And what am I hoping for this group time? What am I hoping from, from this gathering of these people? And then to actually pray, thirdly, to pray about that. I mean, how often do we say, like, man, I wish this was different, or, or I wish I could have more here, and we never spend time praying about it? And so we are trying to lead our groups in saying, hey, let's start each week first uh, in silence and just getting quiet and hearing from the Lord and, and really being present with where we are. Secondly, to actually share, hey, what am I hoping? What are we wanting for this group? So we can all kind of collectively say, oh, yeah, this is what we want the Lord to do through this group. And then thirdly, to actually pray for it, like that passage Matt just read, like, Lord, would you do this? You've promised to answer our prayers and we're praying for this. So would you do it? So that's kind of what our groups, that's where we're headed through this next year with our small groups. Um, so now here's the part you're going to get a hang of. We're going to spend some time praying for our groups and for our group leaders. And, and this is going to be, um, we're going to pray for the leaders of these various areas um, over the next four times. But so this is what this is going to look like. I'm going to have our group leaders stand up. And if you are sitting next to them, like if you can put hands on them, then would ask that one of you, one of the people who is close enough would pray for the, uh, that leader. You can ask them their name if you don't know, but just spend some time praying for uh, those leaders. And then if you're not close enough to a group leader to actually put your hands on and pray, just would you pray for our groups in general? We really believe this is one of the engines, the gospel engines of what we do at Midtown, um, of really being together, of being known and knowing each other. So would you just silently, if you're not close enough to actually pray for a group leader, would you just silently take um, like a minute? We're just going to do this for a minute, and I'm going to close this together. Um, would you silently pray for our groups at Midtown West? So first, I'm going to ask the group leaders if you'll stand up. Okay. Do we think we have the hang of this? Okay. Just for a minute, if you're close to a group leader, would you lay hands on them and pray for them and their group? And then the rest of us uh, will just pray silently, and I'll draw us back together and close us in prayer. Okay.
Lord, thank you um, for these group leaders. Thank you for the way that you've called them to lead us, to shepherd, um, to foremost show us uh, their need of grace and their dependence on you. Just ask that you would um, do a mighty work uh, in our groups this year, that you would make them places of deep laughter and community and joy and also deep places of confession and repentance and growing and maturity in our walk with you and to know you and to be known by you. Um, yeah, would you minister to us through these groups, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, second place that we feel like it's just this huge gospel engine for the Lord working through this body is our hospitality team. And um, I just want to read, this is from the passage that uh, I preached on last week, but this is Paul talking about what it is to be compelled by the love of God. He says, if we're beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you, but the, it's the love of Christ that controls us. If we're acting like crazy people, it's because we're compelled by God's love. And if we're trying to be sane, it's so that we don't freak you out because everything we're doing is trying to see you and Jesus united. And he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And one of the things I said last week was the words that he uses there, what that actually means is we are asking you to accept the offer of hospitality that God is giving you in Jesus. Um, among all the other things that it is, the gospel is an offer of hospitality. It is God saying, oh, I've made a way for you to be a guest in my house. Not just a guest, but a dearly loved son or daughter. And it's by me going all the way and going down into death and giving you myself and my beautiful son so that you could have life and come be in my home forever. And so, um, how could people accept God's offer of hospitality if they could not fathom what that could possibly look or feel like? And so something that we are very thankful for that we've been praying for from the beginning of Midtown West is that we would be a place where people would feel God's welcome and his hospitality. And he's been very kind to us in that. And I've heard that from a lot of you who have come after we started and you've told us that that's something that was palpable to you and that's why you're here and praise God for that. And we just want him to continue that. And so um, in terms of what it looks like, like the hospitality team, that is everything from, uh, I mean, it's just kind of walking through an entire Sunday morning and beyond. It's the people that are here for setup um, who come and, and make sure that the kids rooms and that the worship stuff and, and the chairs are all set up and we have everything we need. So it's people doing setup. It's people who are at the doors greeting because it's kind of strange to not have anyone welcoming you in, but we also don't want that to be like a creepy forced welcome like I've experienced before. Um, so just normal human welcome, just glad you're here. Um, <laughs> it's also people who bake our communion bread. Um, it's also people who, um, yeah, where am I? I just got emotional thinking about something specific, but I don't have time to share it. Um, it's people making coffee. And it's uh, people who do what we call being hosts, which is kind of a, a step 
beyond. And it's just people walking around who are finding people that they don't know who are just making them feel welcome. And something very important about that is it's not, it is not just a to-do list of getting people's names or information or making sure that they're going to get the church email. It is giving them your phone number. It's you inviting them to grab coffee or lunch after the service and just get to know them because guess what? We care that you exist and we care that you're here and we want to know you. So um, if you are someone who serves in any of those ways, if you would stand And we're going to do the same thing. Just if you were around one of these people, um, if you would lay a hand on them and pray for them. And if you're not, that you would pray from your seat for the Lord to work uh, mightily just through welcome here. Father, I lift up these um, men and women who have been involved in this ministry of this church, and I pray that, uh, especially in this kind of way of serving, that you would bless them and just speak a deep encouragement to them that what they're doing matters deeply, very, very deeply. Um, I'm trying to discern the emotion that I'm feeling right now. I think some of it is gratitude for these people who are serving us in this way. And some of it is what I tend to feel when I feel like you're saying we're on the right track. Um, and so I just pray uh, that you would strengthen and encourage uh, this ministry of our body. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, everyone. I am Jess. I'm the worship director here. Um, and as I took a few days to kind of ponder what the vision is um, for this year um, at worship here, um, I think the first words that came to my mind were honesty and intentionality um, when we come to worship, when I come to worship, when my team comes, when all of us come in here on Sunday mornings. Um, and I think what that meant honestly and intentionality, what that meant for me kind of has transformed over the last year. Um, last year, Scott and I, my husband, had a really hard year. Um, I had a miscarriage right after Easter. And after celebrating the goodness of the Lord and his resurrection, just experiencing so much death really made me not want to worship. 
I feel like there were a lot of Sundays that I came in here and put on a show just to like get through the service and just to check something off my list. And I remember coming to Matt at one point and I was like, I should not be leading these people in worship. Like this is not fair um, for all of you to um, feel like you are actually worshiping when I don't feel like I'm leading. And one of the things um, Matt reminded me of and the Lord reminded me of is one, like it's not about me. Like the Lord can still do his work even when I am not doing my job right. Um, But the other thing that Matt said was, no, this is why you should be in this role. Like, you should be coming to us honestly of like, hey, I don't believe the Lord's good today, but we're going to sing and remind our hearts of that until we believe it's true. And so that's what I want for us. As we come in on Sundays, as we sing to honestly and intentionally come, not just honestly and like, hey, I don't want to be here, so I'm just going to stand and stare, but intentionally like sing these, sing these songs, read the scripture, and like really have it dwell in our hearts until we are reminded and encouraged of what's good. So I pray that for myself, for my team, for all of us as we come in on Sunday mornings, not just to check it off our list of like, hey, I went to church today and I numbly sang these songs, but we are going to intentionally worship together. So if all of the people that serve on the worship team will stand, um, And that also includes people who do slides. If you run slides, if you'll stand as well. Um, And if you are, again, near someone on the worship team, if you will put your hand on them and pray for them. And if you're not, then if you'll just pray silently in your seat. God, I thank you uh, for who you are, that we can come honestly to you and that you love us. Um, I pray that um, as 
I lead worship here as my team leads as we all participate in worshiping you um, on Sunday mornings and just throughout the week that we would come to you honestly and intentionally and that we um, would grow in our knowledge of how much you love us um, and how much you are to be trusted by when we honestly come to you in worship. I thank you for how you love us. Shame I pray. Amen. Hey, y'all, I'm Charlotte, and I'm going to be sharing a little bit about the vision of Kid Town at Midtown West. Um, when my husband and I joined the church, one of the things that stuck out to me most in our member interview was how when we like agree to all of the vows that we then say publicly, that we're not only agreeing to bring our strengths and our giftings to this body, but also our weaknesses and our need. And I think baptism is like one of the most beautiful public um, ways we see this happen. Um, this morning, they literally said, we need help raising our child in this body. And we got to respond and say, yes, we will help them um, do that. And so it's a really cool, like full circle way that we see like the intention of the body um, and how the Lord designed it to be come to life. Um, and the main way that we hold up our end of the deal in saying yes to parents who bring their children is through Kid Town. Um, and we do not see Kid Town as babysitting so parents can come to the service, but really um, believe that the Lord works and moves to make himself known in the classrooms of Kid Town just as much as he does in this room to us. Um, and so just invite y'all to join us and be a part of it. It's Our body is very clearly growing in babies and in new members. Um, and it's a really neat way to experience like the love of the Lord and how he cares for us through getting to care and teach um, our children about the Lord as well. So if you are a Kidown Shepherd currently, we're going to have them stand and repeat the same process if you're around them if you'll lay hands on them. Um, and if not, if you'll just pray that their work with our children will be blessed.
Father, we thank you for um, each of our kids that you have brought to us in this body. Um, and I just praise you for the shepherds who have agreed to walk alongside you so faithfully. Um, I pray that they would help these children be known and loved and that that would just be a foretaste um, that helps all of us um, understand how you love us and how you know us. Lord, we pray that they would be reminded that they do not have to come in strength to Kittown every week, but um, just to come receiving your love that then they can pour out. Lord, we just thank you um, that we get to be a part of the work you're doing in this body in this way. I ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Charlotte. And also realize, I don't know that we've announced this, but um, Charlotte has agreed to uh, be our interim Kid Town director for three months. And so we're really, really thankful for you. Okay, um, last thing before we sing and worship, uh, do we have the QR slide? Okay, if y'all would um, just scan this code, what this is is a survey to help us. If you are a member or a regular attender, really, even um, if you're a member, you or someone who has taken vows and said, hey, this is my home, and I want to dig in here and commit myself. Um, and so as, as I try to say in all of our new member interviews, like the things that we're talking about, the official teams of, of ways that we serve and minister in this body are not the exclusive means that God uses us to minister uh, in our lives or even in this body, but they are very necessary. These are the things that are, like I said before, the gospel engines of this body for him doing his good work in this place, and we need all hands on deck for that. And um, the vision that we want to cast, as we were talking about this as elders uh, a couple weeks ago, is that um, the disciplines of giving yourself away in committed areas of service like this, the discipline of giving yourself away through your finances, these are things that are not um, pragmatic. These are not, like we're not all sitting back saying, well, if they need me, they can ask. Like these are active <coughs> disciplines or practices of our discipleship in Jesus. He's saying, look, I have the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need anything from anybody. I'm not poor. I'm the God of the universe. But there's something in this for you. And there's something in the way that I've designed my body and my people to work together that I'm calling you to serve and give yourselves in this way. So what you're going to see on this survey, and if y'all would um, just fill it out here is it's just your name. It's uh, where, if anywhere, have you been serving this last year? Um, and then where, if anywhere, um, somewhere, would you be willing to serve this year? And so it's the, the things that you've heard about here. It's thinking about men's and women's ministries. Um, we want to be more intentional about having a prayer team. And so that's, that's one of the options there. Um, and then lastly, it's just an open box for, um, are there any places? I mean, that's part of the way we believe that the Lord works in his body is putting things on our hearts and giving individuals gifts and seeing needs. And so are there any places that you feel like, man, I see this need at West and it's not in one of these official areas of serving, but I, I would love to give myself in this way to, to help meet that need. Um, so if y'all would fill that out, we'd really appreciate it. And then here in a couple of minutes, we're going to um, continue through worship. <laughs> 